of hate With the ebbing tide I see my life drift away I fought forever but it's far too late I never thought that I would live to see this day Can anybody hear me? Can anybody else feel this pain? Can anybody hear me? Or will my home wash away with this rain? I tried my best, but was it ever enough? I fought so hard and shed so much blood Didn't think it would ever be this tough But can't you see I did it all for love? Can anybody hear me? Can anybody else feel this pain? Can anybody hear me? Or will my home wash away with this rain? All right, we're back. Cindy Radio Hour 2. Um, I'm going to go off into a different vein here just because I, I didn't get to this last week. Um, this is clip two, Mr. Producer. Now, this is coming from an Islamic kind of perspective. And this was on a, a series called um, The Army of Satan. And it talks about charms and amulets, Okay. And some of the, see what a lot of us don't realize is the Islamic world is big. You know, what are we talking? Billion people. Okay. It's all over the world. The most populous Islamic country is not even Arab. It's Asian. The it's Indonesia. And so when you get into places like, Pakistan, which is really part of India, comes out of the whole Hindu thing. And we know about the, the kind of witchcraft and that sort of thing with, with the Hindus. But And then you get into places in Persia. You get into the Arabian Peninsula. Okay, Then you get into the Caucasus, Dagestan, and all of these places. So they... A lot of these places have their own kind of pre-Islamic um, histories with, um, you know, just like look at look at the Jews with the Kabbalah. Okay, you know you got the you got the Torah, you know the the and the and what they call the Tanakh, the Torah, the first five books, uh, the Pentateuch, and then you got the Tanakh, which is your Old Testament Bible. Okay, and then you've got this whole subsidiary of black magic in Kabbalah and that sort of thing. And then you have the same kind of thing with Islam, okay, where you have strict Islamic observance. But then, you know, just like I was talking about the Satan Khan, you know, here in the in the West. Okay, so we've got what they loosely call the Christian West, but hell, we've got all kinds of uh, offshoots of different kind of Satanism and all this weird stuff. Well, Islam has that as well in their countries, but it's very, very secretive due to the um, draconian nature of religious police and the state and that sort of thing that they have to be uh, very more, much more secretive about it. And so, 
let's go ahead and listen to this. But when you're when you're when you're thinking about this, think about the phylacteries that the Jews use. Okay, you know the little cube that they'll put on their forehead and on, and then they'll they'll rub the bands around their they'll wrap them around their arms and so forth and have Bible verses allegedly inside of these um, these boxes and so forth. Think about this as a parallel to what some of these kind of um, Muslims that are practicing witchcraft and Satanism under the surface of Islam are doing. And think about that with Talmudic and Kabbalistic um, Judaism with groups like Kabad, Lubavitch, and others. Go ahead and play a clip too real quick. Charms and amulets are completely forbidden in Islam. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, told Jabir, cut it off because if you don't cut it off, you will never be successful. We need to divide ta'weez or ta'weez into two types. That which is purely from the Qur'an and that which is from anything other than the Qur'an. As for that which is purely from the Qur'an, it is haram without a shadow of a doubt, but it does not take a person outside of Islam. It's a very haram big means sin. forbidden. It's haram. It's a bid'ah that has no basis in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, but it does not take a person outside of Islam. That's because the Qur'an is the speech of Allah and a sifa from his sifat, a, 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 an attribute from his attributes. And so uh, it is not, you cannot commit shirk by seeking help from the Qur'an. However, it is definitely a bid'ah to write the Qur'an and to tie it around your neck. And it was strongly, strongly hated by the companions of Ibn Mas'ud. Nor was it reported from any of the Sahaba that they did this. As for something which contains other than the Qur'an, if a person believes that that charm itself is a cause of benefit, then they have committed disbelief and they are from the people of the hellfire. If a person believes that Allah is the cause of benefit and this charm is only a method or a means to achieve benefit from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they have committed a major sin. So either way, all forms of charms and amulets, all forms of things that are tied around the wrist are haram. And I warn people, wallahi I warn you, against these people who say it is only Qur'an. I have opened, I don't know how many tawis I've opened, probably, I, I, I don't think I'm lying if I, say, may, if I say hundreds, if not perhaps even more than a thousand tawis. And I have only so far, I've kept a running count of three that have been only from the Quran. And almost half of them that I've ever been given, the person has said to me, Wallahi, 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 this is from the Quran. My Shaykh swore to me by Allah, this is just Quran. It's just Ayatul Kursi. Look, it's nothing. And we open it up. Oh, Shaytan, help me. Oh, Shaytan, help me. Or Ayatul Kursi written and spelt wrong. Or things written and stars and Ayn and Jim and Ya Fulan and Ya Fulan written all over it. And these are the people who say it is only from the Quran. And I usually say to people, I offer, a, I open up a challenge to people. I say to them, if you believe your Taweez is only from the Quran, bring it and open it in front of me. If it is from the Quran, I will give you it back and you can choose what to do with it. But how rare, three times out of how many hundreds I have found a taweez that was only from the Quran. And all those times, they believed the magician had cheated them. They said, subhanAllah, I told him to do something good. What is this? I could have printed out ayatul kursi. This is how people have acted. 
So subhanAllah, we know that most of these charms and these things, when they are found, they actually contain shirk. Uh, and this is something that is very important for people to realize. All right, go ahead and stop it. So basically, they're in the Islamic world, in certain countries, they, they'll make a charm, a, a necklace or a bracelet, and they claim within this charm is, is very, very you know, finely folded up like um, words of, of the Quran in there. But what these guys are finding is when they open these things up, there's all kinds of um, satanic stuff, Satan helped me and all this, and then um, there's there's stuff where they've they've added or taken away and done strange things with the with the language. And so they they get this stuff from a sheikh or somebody that's you know that's a, a powerful ruler over there, or whatever, and they're secretly doing witchcraft on people. And see, that's why I thought about the phylacteries of, of the Orthodox Jews and the possibility that their rabbis or whoever is in charge of creating um, these things, the little cubes and that. And supposedly there's, there's folded up Bible, you know, verses in there, there. The possibility of there being some sort of a evil twist to it as well. I, I, I just wanted to kind of put that out there to get to for the listener to kind of wrap your mind around the fact that there is all kinds of evil um, under the surface in the Islamic world too. It's not a monolithic block where they all believe and they're all blah 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 blah. No, there's all kinds of that stuff going on in in their religious sector as well. Just uh, just kind of putting that out there. Um, let me see. Oh, yeah, I wanted to get this one in. Uh, Mr. Producer, get clip nine ready. Now, this is a big deal if it's true. Um, and then there's a lot of strange stuff going on. This And this is about um, the Russians and the Ukrainians. Um, go ahead and play clip nine. All right, let me ask you this question. Let's start here. So did Russia just destroy a major NATO operations center in Ukraine? 300 people killed, along with dozens of high-ranking NATO officials, Ukrainian officials at the top, top levels. Was that story kept from you? Was it redacted? You weren't allowed to know about this story. We're going to show you the evidence in a moment, as well as why it's being kept silent from you. It'll all start to make sense. All of these pieces with these leaked Pentagon documents and all of these statements recently from Lloyd Austin and others and European leaders who are flying to China saying, we're not really interested in talking with the United States anymore about this. Can you broker peace, please? All of these pieces seem to be pointing to a similar, uh, similar answer in this. And there's a reason for all of this. But first, some context on this story. So March 2nd, let's rewind the clock. A little over a month ago, U.S. and NATO launched a terror attack inside of, Ru inside of Russia. I'm not sure if you remember this, using Ukrainian soldiers. Now, remember, I say everything that is carried out in Ukraine is because of NATO and the United States. It's not Ukraine. It's a proxy war. We're directing everything. Everything that happens, we are directing the traffic. They crossed the border into Mother Russia, into the Bryansk region, and they carried out terrorist attacks in a couple of village areas. There's a lot of gunfire. 
reports initially were like, wow, there's like 50 Ukrainians. Turns out, no, it wasn't that many. It ended up being a lot less than that. But nevertheless, people were killed. Killing a person, uh, injuring a, a 10-year-old boy, uh, also firing drones. Uh, drone, drones were dropping um, incendiary devices on residential homes. So it was a residential attack. It had no military strategic importance whatsoever. The only thing it was designed to do was provoke Russia. Scott Ritter was on the show at the time. He said it was a clear provocation, he told our audience. Clear provocation. These guys were animals. It served no military purpose whatsoever. It was a terrorist attack. Um, again, against a 10-year-old boy, civilians. That's what this was. The whole goal was to provoke Russia. Um, and then Putin declared, Putin declared it a terrorist attack. Russia declared it a terrorist attack. Said, game over. We will respond. And then he made it in a devastating way, a devastating response to this attack. A few days later, on March 8th and 9th, Putin responded, launching for the very first time hypersonic missiles, six of them to be exact. These are the Kinzhal missiles, known as the Daggers. Uh, President Biden described them as, quote, a consequent weapon that is almost impossible to stop. Ukraine admits they have nothing that can stop these Russian hypersonic missiles. Nothing. In fact, the United States even test launched their own hypersonic missile a month ago, and it failed off Hawaii. Disaster. So Scott Ritter was on our show that day to talk about this attack and how devastating these Kinzhal attacks were. Watch. The Russians are coming in with very innovative tactics designed to force the Ukrainians to activate their radars so that the radars can be identified and destroyed, force the Ukrainians to fire uh, their specific missiles, especially from high-value resources like uh, the Iris-T or the NASAMs. Now the Patriot system is in Ukraine, allegedly. Um, and then for the Russians then to target these and to denigrate, to degrade, to neutralize the Ukrainian air defense so that they can impose their will on this space. And last night we saw the Russians begin to impose their will. Um, they struck repeatedly. They struck about targets of high value. And they started using, in large numbers, the uh, Kinzhal missile. Before, the Kinzhal was a one-of. They fire one here, one there, because it's a very expensive missile, and the Russians don't have, didn't have a lot of them. But the Russians have been producing Kinzhals. They, they're running uh, triple shifts at the facilities to, pro to produce these things. And I think we're seeing these missiles starting to come out in quantities so that the Russians can integrate them. And the important thing about the Kinzhal is no matter what <laughs> NATO and Ukrainians do, you can't shoot it down. The missile cannot be shot down. So it can be used, for instance, to strike any target at once. And now notice there are 81 um, launches. Um, six were Kinzhal. So the Kinzhal is still a small portion of the uh, overall uh, you know, less than 10% of the overall strike force, but the targets it's hit are guaranteed to be destroyed. So it can hit command and control targets. It can hit critical energy infrastructure that might otherwise be protected with air defense resources that would um, negate, um, you know, a caliber attack or a Shahid-136 attack or an Iskander attack. Well, you can't negate the Kinzhal. It hits, it destroys, that's it. It can also start taking out the high-value air defense systems themselves. If you can identify a German Irish-T or an American Patriot system or a NASAM system, take it out with the Kinzhal. Bam, that's worth the expenditure. And I think you're going to see uh, General Sir Viking continue to shape this battle 
lure the Ukrainians and activating radars to be destroyed, firing systems to be identified, and bringing to bear the hypersonic Kinzhal when needed to eliminate high-value targets. This is the beginning of the air campaign, which is designed to collapse Ukraine as a modern nation-state, and in doing so, collapse political support for the Zelensky government. So what we didn't know at the time was what specific targets were struck. And Russia then, here's the, you know, the payload. You can see it in the, in the graphic here, what this looks like. And then Russia finally admitted to destroying NATO's deep underground command bunker in Kiev a few days after these attacks. They admitted to this. But what was in this command bunker? NATO was quiet about it. The United States has been absolutely silent about this Western bunker near the capital of Ukraine that was totally destroyed. Have you heard about it? Has CNN covered it? Has Fox News covered it? Has any major media outlet covered it? Has the BBC covered it? Where has this story been? Who was killed there? Has the Ukraine talked about it? No, but that very day, you can piece the pieces, you can piece the evidence together and see interviews with Zelensky that afternoon where he looks like a like he was a beaten dog like he just literally had his stomach punched and 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 was slapped in the head because something big had just happened and arguably he was supposed to have been there during that time when this when this uh when this bunker busting bomb unfolded so what exactly happened well reports started to trickle out to sort from sources that I trust and independent media sources that one of these six Kinzhal missiles struck a secret bunker in western Ukraine near the capital. It was devastating. And then again, I said, you know, Zelensky shows up on TV, looks like a, like a beaten down dog because he just lost hundreds of his top leadership members. Hundreds of them. Russia struck a bunker that was 400 feet below ground. 400 feet below ground. And destroyed it. According to reports, 300 people among them, dozens of uh, top NATO officials, dozens of NATO officials, not from Ukraine, from NATO, were also there and killed at the time. But oddly, this story has been redacted by the mainstream media. No mention of it. Totally ignored. Again, I haven't heard anything about it. I haven't no, seen the printed, stop I it. scoured newspapers all day. So you get the uh, <laughs> you get the gist. I you know uh, it's hard to discern whether this is legit or not. I, but it's like wow, if it is, um, very very crazy. Um, so up on Gateway Pundit, Biden view foreign policy. U.S. Embassy in Sudan evacuated by special forces. So reportedly on the ground helping U.S. Embassy workers in the evacuation. Um, So the New York Times reported um, airlifted embassy officials out of Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, amid continuing violence as rival military leaders battled for control of Africa's third largest country. Today, on my orders, the United States military conducted an operation to extract U.S. government personnel from Khartoum. Uh, On a briefing for reporters, officials said that just over 100 special operations troops were involved in evacuating under 100 people, mostly embassy employees, using helicopters that flew in from the nation of Djibouti, about 800 miles away. 
The operation was fast and clean, with service members spending less than an hour on the ground in Khartoum, said Lieutenant General Douglas A. Sims II, Director of Operations for at the Joint Staff. As we speak, the evacuees are safe and secure. Um, so let's get Mr. Uh, producer number 11 ready. This is about Sudan, and this is a guy on the ground explaining what's going on there. Go ahead and play clip 11. Here is why you should care about the fighting that is going on in Sudan. What's happening there is more than meets the eye. And it's time for the world to discuss the actual truth of what is going on there. America and Russia are at it again, just as they did 60 years ago during the Cold War, when they fought proxy wars right in Africa, leading to the death of thousands of innocent Africans. They are at it again in Sudan fighting a proxy war. Let me explain. Two factions of the Sudanese military are fighting each other. One of them is led by Lieutenant General Mohamed Hamdan, head of the paramilitary group known as Rapid Support Forces. The other faction is led by the Sudanese Army Chief, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. So why are they fighting? This is where Russia and USA come into the picture. You see, in the last couple of months, Russia has finalized a deal with Sudan to establish Russia's naval base in Sudan's Red Sea coast. America is not too happy with that. Actually, they're furious. America's ambassador to Sudan, John Godfrey, expressly warned Sudan not to seal that deal with Russia. But they're going ahead and doing just that. And so when the paramilitary unit began fighting the other faction of the army, that wasn't happening in a vacuum. The big problem is that you're not going to hear this in the mainstream media. Neither are you going to hear a lot of African governments voicing this, which is very unfortunate because Africa must learn to speak its truth and stand on this truth because truth will set you free. So it is left to the African people, we the African people, to speak this truth and tell America and Russia to get off Africa, to get their hands off Africa. The days of the Cold War, the days of the shenanigans of the Cold War are completely over and they cannot fight proxy wars in Africa at the expense of innocent African lives. That has to stop. The fighting in Sudan must stop. The puppet masters must stop their evil, diabolic games. All right, you can stop there. Um, So Russia does a deal to put in a uh, Navy base on the Red Sea. America's not real happy about it. And then all of a sudden, rival factions start fighting um, in in Sudan. And then uh, our embassy has to be evacuated. Very, very fascinating. Um. Let's since we're since we're in Africa talking about that. Let's let's get clip fourteen ready, Mr. Producer. This is about Nigeria and the central bank digital currency, and um, I can see this playing out in various countries throughout the world. Um, go ahead and roll fourteen. Well, let me bring you up to speed. Folks, today's post is for anybody doubting that central bank digital currencies are definitely a thing and that a cashless future is absolutely imminent. Did you know that Nigeria is basically cashless now and that they have a central bank digital currency? 
After a three-week delay, Nigeria's digital currency is now legal tender. In October of 2021, the Central Bank of Nigeria announced the Enaira. Well, after about a year, only 0.5% of Nigerians signed up. Yes, big surprise, most people don't want a central bank digital currency. They limited the amount of cash that people could withdraw from the banks and ATMs to $44 per week. Now, the average Nigerian needs $40 per day to survive. The long queues at ATMs and banks nationwide, oftentimes in the middle of the night and up to seven hours long. Scenes of destruction are evident at different banks. Some have had their windows smashed and ATM pawns damaged. Still the tug of war to get cash a sign that the cashless policy of the CBN is yet to feed into the system. They banned cash. The government came out in October of 2022 and said that they're no longer accepting the old banknotes. So they said, we're going to give you new banknotes. But then the banks stopped issuing the new ones and people couldn't get the new ones. And then nobody could get any cash anymore. You can't use the old ones and you can't get the new ones. Cash shortage sparked by the replacement of paper notes, a crisis which has left people cashless and has forced businesses to close. The ATMs are now working. Even when you walk into the bank, they will tell you they are not giving out that money, that they don't have the cash. The banks! I'm making the new Naira note very difficult for Nigerians to accept. So what happened? A 60% increase in people who are using CBDCs because guess what? Children were starting to starve. They starved their own people into adopting central bank digital currency. And so this is a case study. This is a cautionary tale. The world leaders are taking notes on this and we the people need to take notes on this. Only the American people can stop this because if the central bank digital currency happens there, it's going to happen everywhere, especially here in Canada. Write a letter to your congressman, your representative. Keep the pressure up. Keep your eye on this. Make sure Congress does not approve the move to a central bank digital currency. And if you don't think that a central bank digital currency and a cashless society just like Nigeria isn't coming here, then you need to be a little bit more sophisticated in your thinking. Because why would we allow Nigeria, a developing country, to have a more advanced technology and payment system than us? Of course not. We're the first world. We have to be more advanced. We have to have better technology than them. People actually died in the streets. There was rioting. They didn't care. They burned down the banks. They don't want the banks to exist. They want the banks gone now. They don't care about the banks. They don't care about the riots in the streets. They don't care about the kids and the families that are starving, adults who aren't even eating food. Uh, you can stop it there. Um why a lot of people are talking about some sort of a black swan event, some cataclysmic, transformative. Um, if there's people saying, you know, you got 90 days to do A, B, C, and D, you know, this summer going into this fall, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's a lot out here to digest. And, um, you know, the normies are still, the, the TV watchers are not really, they're just, you know, kind of getting uneasy about the AI a little bit. But um, So this is up on um, Steve Quayle's Q Alerts. Info, the Wells Fargo Bank in Valier, Montana has gone cashless, they told me. This is the only unit of this type in the Wells Fargo system. There's no money in the bank. Vault nor tellers. The people there are to assist folks with very large ATM device in the foyer. You can deposit checks and withdraw cash. It disperses one, five, ten, twenty, fifty, and a hundred dollar bills up to five thousand a day. You have to have an ATM card, but a lot of farmers do not have the correct cards. 
Steve Quayle says this, suggests that all depositors look for strong regional and local banks and leave the top five. Massive disinfo campaign underway to get people out of their local banks into the top five, claiming the people are doing this to feel safer. That's, this is a total lie. Money is fleeing banks as people want to have access as soon as possible to their funds. Remember, cash equals freedom and central bank digital currency equals total control of your life and death. Resist, use cash, and beware unheard of interest offerings will be made to entice depositors to lure them into new financial vehicles paying higher interest rates that will be worthless when CBDCs are introduced. Expect financial turmoil and bank shutdowns that will be beyond historic in their ramifications, which will rip the soul out of our once great nation. Um, you know, kind of fascinating. Uh, let me see here. Oh, yeah, let me pull this up. So this is on Jim Stone. The MSEM is reporting a global rice shortage. So wait for a rice shortage. They will create one. And they might be creating one by shipping it all to Mexico, where rice is and has been on sale everywhere for 35 cents a pound, the lowest it has ever been. And it has stayed stuck at that price across several low-end brands for months. Well, they say about 50 to 60% of the world gets like 80% of their calories from rice. So uh, they really want to ramp up the uh, depopulation, torpedo the rice supply around the world. We'll see you guys on the other side. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. My name is John, I'm the founder of Black Owl Coffee, and I started uh, Black Owl because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Which will conclusively prove George Soros' role in orchestrating the pandemic. But first, dear patriots, the truth train has brought us a conspiracy in our own backyard. Now, you may think you know the story. Now, it's like I always say, there's a whole lot of bullshit out there. So I'd like to give Soros, Pelosi, the Zionists, the Mexicans, the Snowflakes, and Stay strong, truth tellers. Truth tellers. Stay strong, stay strong. 
listening to RBN in defense of the Republic. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. this i had this in my stuff last week and i didn't get to it so we're going to get to it now now uh, and this kind of caught fire throughout the week um, a lot of people picking up on it now todd calendar ken ferguson lisa mcgee they're kind of like the their group of people are kind of the ones that noticed it this lisa mcgee lady now, they were on with Maria Z about a day ago, and they were talking about basically, according to the U.S. Code, whenever a federal official uh, that has to swear an oath to the you know Constitution or whatever, that has to be documented and entered into public record and notarized. And what they've seemed to discover is basically everybody from Merrick Garland to uh, all these people in the cabinet, uh, 
what's her face, uh, Camel Toe Harris, all of them. They don't have the proper in order uh, documents saying that they have sworn to um, support and defend the Constitution of the United States uh, against all enemies, foreign and domestic, etc., etc. So we're going to listen to a little bit of this. This is clip seven, Mr. Producer, the first part. So go ahead and cue up that first part. And it's an interesting... Uh, kind of angle now i've I, as i was listening to this from la- when i was reading about it last week you know um and then kind of digging into it further and then listening to this um there's a couple angles to this but go ahead and let's listen to that first part um nine months ago or so lisa had sent a Freedom of Information Act request to the U.S. Department of Defense in reference to Lloyd Austin and whether or not um, he has an oath of office. And she started getting the runaround um, to just strange things. You know, these Freedom of Information Act requests are pretty straightforward. There's even mediators that are available. And if you don't get what you want, you know, then you can you can actually sue. But the way that they, they moved her around was very suspicious. And so while she's going through this process with the DOD, um, she starts requesting the, uh, the oath of office from all of the cabinet. And uh, about the time we were gearing up to sue the DOD, they all started coming in, which was just a week or two ago. Um, and lo and behold, we come to find that they're all defective. And what I want to say is this. Everybody holding an oath of office, it, it, it isn't good enough to raise your hand and swear it. you got to write it down and you got to notarize it. So when you look at the evidence that we presented in this writ quo warranto, what you will find is that they are defective of those that came in. Ken is right. Um, there were some where the, the agencies just said, yeah, we don't have them. You know, they just don't care. Uh, and I think that's the point here. They don't care. This is a facade and it's, a, it's almost a joke on us. Yes, absolutely. I know that um, just where writs are concerned, you know, there was a uh, a huge problem with our federal elections because the the seal it, w- it was missing the Commonwealth seal. It wasn't a, it wasn't even an official uh, document that, that that is required for the election to take place, and yet. You know, anyone that dares do anything about it was just sort of silenced and swept under the rug. Um, And, you know, there there hasn't been real action um, other than, you know, former Senator Rodney Cullerton here in Australia, who's been blasting the horn on this forever. Um, But there hasn't been real concrete action taken against these people. So um, should we start with these documents? Do you want to talk us through them? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, the, the writ itself is great. Um, it's self-explanatory it details how and why, um, you know, these are, are either non-existent or defective. I would take you to, for instance, if you went to page 25, I want to show you an example when we say that they're defective. And I want people to see what the oath actually requires. So this one in particular is Rochelle Walensky. And um, she's a senior the right advisor. Page, sorry. Yeah, that's right. You're on the right page. That's perfect. So on its face, you would think this looks fine, right? But the statute itself, the operative statute is 5 U.S. Code 3332, requires that it be both written and notarized. And there is no notarial attestation to this. So it is facially defective. Um, They're they're all like that, wherever they actually receive them. But what I wanted to point out 
is the reasoning therefore. If you look at this oath, aside from you know, promising to serve the interests of our country, take note specifically to item C. And I think that this is where the motive for this happens to, to reside. I have not, nor has anyone acting on my behalf, given, transferred, promised, or paid any consideration for or in expectation of hope of receiving assistance in securing this appointment. What does that mean? I, I think that means that the office isn't for sale and you can't be hired to, to run it for somebody else. And yet, what do we see in our governments? You know, rampant corruption. Very clearly, um, you know, our politicians aren't in charge. Somebody's pulling the strings. And it's my supposition, I know Ken and, and Lisa share this, that these are defective on purpose. It's a statistical impossibility that the entire cabinet has defective or non-existent oaths of office, which are required for them to, to actually serve in these roles. Unbelievable. Maria, if you can scroll up just a hair. Yes. Uh, I also want to point out, look where it says position to which appointed. It just says senior advisor. Uh, I think it's important to note that um, <laughs> Rochelle Walensky is actually the director of Center of Disease yeah. Control and Toxic Substances and Disease Registry. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's the... Um, you know, that's her official uh, title, so to speak. And yet they just have this general vague term of senior advisor. Um, again, also not sworn to, um, as Todd mentioned, or um, unsworn either under oath or alternatively what would, would be typical would be a um, uh, an affidavit with a notary. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, why do you think no one has uncovered this until now? That's a Lisa question. Well, it's well, also a Lisa you know, answer. It's people like Lisa. Go ahead, Lisa. I mean, it's it's it's, it's rock stars <laughs> like Lisa. We're making this happen. You know, Maria. <laughs> I, I think it's um. Thank you for that, Ken. And it is. I was in a position to be able to do this. Um, you know, with being on on Todd's team, this is. But FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, is is set up for people to inquire, you know, to, to ask questions of our government, of agencies, of departments, of individuals. And that is what it's for. And again, th this whole process has been such a learning experience of if you would if, if people who are running your government would be proud of that and taking these oaths seriously and properly, there's an allegiance to that role. And it's an allegiance to those people who they've made that oath to. And also self-integrity and self-moral and, 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 and a moral compass that's aligned properly. This, this shines a light on that, if anything. They, these people don't have that. There is no alliance to that position, and there's no alliance at all to the people. And so they, you know, you, you, you submit a FOIA, and... They have to respond, but in my experience, there was immediate pushback. There was an immediate, oh, you know, we've got to send it here. We've got to send it there. We've got to send it here. You know, every place else except the department to where this person is the secretary. Secretary of Defense, we've got to send it to 15 other places, you know, before we can find it. A common um, phrase, a common um, subject matter was that they were all unusual circumstances, asking for an oath of office of a current person in position, you know, an appointee, that they, it was unusual circumstances. It's like, what's unusual, you know, about this? So, you know, they, they set up obstacles for people 
my opinion, for people to just finally say, I don't have time to continue to do this. I mean, I yes. think that we're probably like, All right, Mr. Producer, go ahead. Let's move, to the, let's move to the second part at 2218. You can kind of get the gist of it, folks. But then they would, then they go into Merrick Garland and his stuff. Nobody, nobody gives them anything on Merrick Garland. So he's supposed to be the top federal law enforcement officer in the entire country. And his, and we all know he's, you know, his, uh, let's just say pedigree, Cheka NKVD Merrick Garland, Jewish mobster in on the Oklahoma city bombing, the whole deal. Um, but he, his, his stuff is like totally irregular, totally defective. So you've got the attorney general, the so-called attorney general, uh, his oath of office is all screwball. Yeah. So let's get into the second part here at 2218, where basically they kind of go into why they think that these conditions exist. Go ahead and play that part. Todd, Todd going off that, um, it, I had mentioned this before, but interestingly, treason is the only crime that's actually defined in the Constitution under uh, Article 3, Section 3. And one of the elements of treason is that the defendant owes an allegiance to the government. So Todd and I, I mean, all we can do is, is speculate here, but maybe one reason that they don't want to have their oaths of office is because then that actually gives them um, uh, the mens rea or, or, the, or the conscience, rather, um, to know that then they could be found or found guilty of treason if they had signed the oath of office. So maybe that's, in their mind, a scapegoat or an outlet to say, well, since we didn't sign the oath, we didn't owe allegiance. But that you're basically uh, having to pick your poison here because it's also illegal to impersonate a federal officer. So well, that's right. So I, I was about to say, okay, whether it's a, an escape plan, um, you can't go and impersonate a member of the government. You you cannot do that. No, uh, pretending to be a federal officer is a federal crime under 18 U.S.C. 912, and it's a crime to falsely represent oneself as an agent or employee to intimidate or deceive another person. And here we are with the with incredibly powerful people. We're talking Janet Yellen. We're talking the Vice President of the United States, uh, particularly, uh, potentially, um, deceiving an entire country here. I mean, the magnitude of this the world. can't be as to what's happening. The world, exactly. Do we know? Yeah, I would also... Certainly. Sorry, I just no, wanted no, to add. To, I just wanted to add to that. Really simply, I think one of the the ways to look at the calculus on this, in the case of treason, the penalty is death. In the case of impersonating a, a federal officer, it's prison time. I bet that figured into this whole uh, analysis and calculus. Absolutely. What what um. What does this mean? I mean, obviously you've you haven't looked at every single official, um. But how do you know, or how do you, does it matter who they're actually employed by? Does it matter who they're actually serving? Is it a matter then of, of foreign influence? I think so. I think all of those things count. The three parts to the affidavit kind of speak to that. They, you know, somebody else isn't, um, you know, isn't pulling the strings. And then secondarily, who do, who do you work for? And this is the part, Maria, that we're trying to get out to the public. Look, your government, our government, Canadian government, all of them seem to have this. They share this, that their people aren't serving, their people in these positions aren't serving their people. So who, who do they work for? And more importantly, 
the folks in uniform, the ones also carrying guns and badges, who do you work for? Because if you're taking orders from these guys, right, then that makes you a mercenary. That, that's my concern. And what we want people to understand is that the Constitution, in the case of the United States, is the supreme law of the land. Your duty, if you're in uniform, you work for government, you're carrying a badge and a gun, your duty is to the Constitution and the people of the United States of America. And we really want people to understand that we're proving what appears to be a fraud in progress, the greatest fraud perhaps in the history of man, second only to the COVID fraud, the, the kill shot fraud. But maybe it's all part of the same criminal enterprise. All right. All right, go ahead and stop it there. Um, It's interesting due to the fact that when you get into the de facto and the de jure system that runs side by side, maybe this is all part of being a member of the de facto system that purposefully they throw these fake and defective um, oaths in there that are contrary basically to the constitution and so forth, but, um, kind of a wink, wink at the U S code. Uh, all right. Now there's another, there's, there's another besides like, I guess, giving themselves some, I guess, protection from total liability of treason, I guess. Um, then you've got the de facto de jour kind of battle there, but also think about the Q stuff and i'm not going to have time to play um this clip that i want to play um but basically there is and i talked about it last week there are people that are still kind of following the cue drops and the narrative put forth there that um well this crowd uh, there's many of them that don't believe trump truly left office that before Trump, I guess, left the the White House, that he secretly put the military in charge and the military is running this thing and Biden and Harris and all these people are basically uh, type under some sort of a house arrest or they're wearing masks and this sort of thing, and um, you know the military's really in charge, and they're all just playing roles to to make all of the normies out here think that the system is still intact, and so forth and so on. And then there's the people that believe, you know, that people were all killed at Gitmo and all this crap. Um, you know, I. I personally, the way I'm seeing it is, uh, you know, the old man is up there just as a figurehead where the Obama clique is here for their third term. And the mafia that controls the Obama clique, which is worldwide communism, basically um, is calling the shots. Um now, this dust-up with the United States and China over Taiwan, that remains to be seen. Uh, we still got all kinds of container ships coming from China on a daily basis with all these goods that we're buying. Um, so a lot of this, I don't, you know, a lot of this is demoralization operations, and I constantly talk about that. 
Um, so what the truth is, I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, but next week, maybe I'll play this video that I, I would like to kind of get. Um, but let's um, I, I wanted to get to this article. Communism is liberty's mortal enemy. OK, so George Meany and I read out of um, the naked communist and he's at the beginning uh, of that book. He was head of the AFL-CIO in the 50s. And just listen to some of this stuff. Too many in the free world fail to see the real nature of communism as the mortal foe of everything that we hold dear, of every moral and spiritual value. Too many are still prisoners of the illusion that communism is, historically speaking, a progressive system. Yeah, like AOC and all the so-called progressives, Bernie, Cory Bush. Extreme liberalism temporarily making bad mistakes. Actually, communism is an antisocial system in which there are embedded some of the worst features of savagery, slavery, feudalism, and life-sapping exploitation manifested in the Industrial Revolution of early-day capitalism. Savagery and slavery think about this when they push all of this degeneracy on people because see they want to people to get boiled down into the brute beasts right of their own passions right of their bellies of their own sexual proclivities meany forcefully asserted asserted that too many in the free world seem to have lost their capacity for moral indignation against the most brutal inhumanities when they are perpetrated by communists and w- look at the look at the riots of 2020 look at all this stuff you see these are the communist pets here in the united states that run all these brutal inhumanities at the street level it is painful but we must face the cruel facts of life. It is disturbing to me that many people in our country who call themselves liberals never find the time to utter word of condemnation against the communist imperialist destruction of the national independence and democratic rights of hundreds of millions of people in Europe and Asia. It was unfathomable to me that liberals could not perceive that communism is the deadliest enemy of liberalism. Think about it in the 1970s. All of the people that um, called themselves liberals that were exposing the CIA and all that stuff. And now you've got people that call themselves liberals, and they are the CIA. They're the Obamas. They're the John Brennans. They're the Michael Morells. They're the Blinkens. You see? So communism penetrated the Democratic Party. And half the Republican Party. You've got Lindsey Graham sitting here helping the Democrats advise, advance Biden's judicial nominees in, in Feinstein's absence. Now, you know Lindsey Graham's blackmailed to the hilt. He's, he's got to be. Uh, this was up on National File. Virginia, Democrat socialite, uniparty scion arrested on child porn, attempted rape charges. Eleanor Hoppy sent child rape porn to undercover agents as was arrested at a hotel where she planned to rape an eight-year-old girl. Um, and you get into some of this stuff. She got busted with silk undergarments and lubricant. Um, but some of the stuff um, that she was saying um, 
So she text messages that she sent to an investigator. She described in detail the plan she had for raping an eight-year-old girl who didn't truly exist, but was the creation of the investigative team. I can't wait to, you know, get this girl. And then, of course, putting her to bed and waking her up to do a few extra things will be so fun. A great thing to do is wake her up by trying new things. That hazy, dreamlike state is perfect to introduce a, a variety of new things, especially with someone to help with positioning her body. And then you let her fall right back to sleep. I'll be there as soon as I can, and I'll get naked too. I mean, wow. And she was, she was married to a judge, and her family... Um, is a prominent legal family which operates one of the largest law firms in the state, Hunt and Andrews Kurth. My gosh, just absolutely insane. Um, let's have a little fun towards the end here. Uh, just get clip three ready, Mr. Producer. This is Owen Schroyer talking about Megan Rapinoe. We know the, the goofball from the women's soccer team, U.S. Go ahead and play this real quick. you to live in this world megan rapinoe and sue bird among female athletes who signed letter opposing protection of girls and women in sports act the athletes called on lawmakers to focus their attention on other causes female athletes have been uh, fighting you know i find this funny i find this funny because i wonder how megan rapinoe would have felt if there was a male-to-female midfielder playing for the U.S. women's national team that took her position, and there was a male-to-female soccer player on the women's national team that started instead of her and wore the captain's band instead of her and got all the million-dollar sponsorships instead of her, do you think she would still be for it? Same with Sue Bird and others. None of them had to compete against men, but now they want the future generations of female athletes that they probably inspired in many ways, they want them to compete against men. Oh, how perfect. Megan Rapinoe Go and Sue Bird. Now, Owen, if you've been doing your transvestigations, you would see that those two are very suspect of being male-to-female trannies. Uh, some of those transvestigators looked at a large swath of these um, soccer players on the U.S. team that kicks everybody's butt quite a bit, and guess what? Many of them are highly questionable as being genetic males, um, and they really looked through that Sports Illustrated um, catalog, I mean, uh, issue with all those girls, and then... Uh, it's quite questionable whether Megan is actually a man. M-E-G-A-N. Take out the uh, E-G and you got man. Just saying, Owen, do some transvestigation and you might see why they signed that because they're probably actually boys. We'll see you guys next week. Hope you enjoyed the broadcast.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.